So in 2016, something incredible happened. Does anybody know what it was? Somebody just said it. The Cubs won the World Series. Yes. <laughs> now you may think, Bob, come on, don't diminish the hope of Christmas by bringing in the trivial nature of baseball and especially the Chicago Cubs. But I just did. I can't take it back. Um, the Cubs won the World Series. It was an amazing year. Now, here's the thing about the Cubs winning the World Series. I had waited for a long time, but that was nothing compared to the people who were like 85 years old and had waited all their life, which was a lifetime. Finally, the Cubs won the World Series. And honestly, I really hope they're going to win the World Series in 2019 again. But I can't control that. As a matter of fact, not only can I not control it, it's not been promised to me. I mean, in a real way. And what I want to say about my hope concerning the 2019 World Series is it's not the same kind of hope as Advent. The Advent hope is a different kind of hope. Hope is the theme for today. The candle that we lit represents hope. But that kind of hope it's different. Why is it different? It's different because it comes with a real promise, an honest-to-goodness, real promise. And the promise is that Christ will come again and make everything new. We look at the Old Testament and remember the first advent, the first coming when Christ first came. And we look at passages in the Old Testament, like the one read this morning from Isaiah chapter 11, where the prophet is predicting a restoration for a group of people who are in captivity. Now, you know people who are in captivity? They could be overwhelmed with their circumstances and with despair that things would ever change. And it's into that condition that the prophet says, no, I tell you, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when everything will be restored. And as a matter of fact, if you look at what he said, you realize he wasn't just talking about the restoration of a nation back to a land. He was talking about something far grander than that, something bigger than that. That's why we see it as a messianic hope. He says there's coming a day when everything will be right. Physically, relationally, politically, everything will be made new. There will be no such thing as violence and hatred and discord. Perfect peace is coming. That would have been an amazing message to hear while you're in captivity because when you're in captivity, it feels like you will always be that way. Does that sound familiar? I mean, for you. Aren't there circumstances in your life when you're in the middle of deep difficulty? Maybe physical pain, maybe extreme doubt, maybe everything is against you, maybe just deep depression. And you think, it's always going to be this way. It's into that condition that the word hope from Isaiah, 
the messianic hope of Jesus Christ is spoken right into the circumstances and elevates us no matter where we are. Because things are never going to be just like they are forever. There's a new day coming. So the reason that the hope of Advent is unique is because it comes with a promise, a real promise, God is going to do this. But here's the other thing about the hope of Advent. The promise comes wrapped in mystery, incredible mystery. As a matter of fact, the first promise came wrapped in incredible mystery. It came in the person of Jesus Christ, and the mystery of God in Christ was really overwhelming, unexpected. As a matter of fact, it was unusual, rather odd, and even scandalous and offensive that God would come in the form of a person, that two parents, one of which claimed to have been impregnated by the Holy Spirit, Two parents would travel to a foreign city of sorts, not really foreign in terms of geography, but away from where they were, back to their birthplace. And the reason they did it was not just because they wanted to take a trip in the ninth month of her pregnancy, it's because they had to go because a foreign power said, you must go and register. And these two people, who were supposedly carrying God, in the flesh, couldn't find a place to stay, and he was born there, among the animals. There's a lot of mystery in that, mystery in the promise. There's mystery in the details, we've just mentioned that, but there's, there's also mystery in the method. One theologian that I love, she is by no means a conservative theologian, is Kathleen Norris. Kathleen Norris writes widely and autobiographically. On one occasion, Kathleen Norris in her book Amazing Grace recalls how she was a part of a a convention, a conference for Christian ministers, and she said, A woman minister got up in front of all of us and she said, we all know there was no virgin birth. Mary was just an unwed teenager and God told her it was okay. Kathleen Norris said, uh, I realized after I heard many people in the audience gasp I realized that my own anger over her statement, over this woman's arrogance, she said, had deep personal roots. I was taken back to my teenage years when the demythologizing of Christianity that I had encountered in a misguided study of modern theology had led me to conclude that There was little in religion for me. In the classroom, at least, it seemed that anything in the Bible that didn't stand up to reason, that couldn't be explained, 
was primitive, infantile, and ripe for discarding. So I took all my longings for the sacred, for mystery, into the realm of poetry and found a place for myself there. Now, more than 30 years later, I sat in a room full of Christians and thought, my God, they're still at it. Still trying to leech every bit of mystery out of this religion. Still, still substituting the most trite language available. Some of you have not experienced the study of theology in that kind of context. I have. It's maddening. It creates frustration. And it sucks the life out of the gospel itself. And Kathleen Norris is saying one of the reasons it does is it because it leeches mystery right out of the story. It does. The mystery must be there in order for the story to have its power. There's a couple of ways that one could extract the mystery out of the story. One would be like this, to demythologize it, to say it really didn't happen. It was some sort of spiritual reality that wasn't really material. You know what the other way to leech the mystery right out of it is? To try with this mysterious doctrine and every other to prove it. The mystery of the incarnation is beyond proof. The mystery of the virgin birth is beyond proof. It does not mean that it is not true. It does not mean that it did not happen historically. What it does mean is that you cannot prove it. And thus, by faith, you must accept it. That's the nature of faith. So in our zeal to protect the gospel, and I count myself among those who have that sort of zeal, we best not demythologize the gospel on our own terms by saying, I'll prove it to you. So first, the mystery is the promise is real concerning this hope. Second, the mystery of the promise exists. And third, anticipation concerning this hope it's really good. In this moment, I, I hearken back to my childhood. I remember as a child, we used to travel from South Florida to Louisville, Kentucky, where my grandparents lived every single Christmas because there's no such thing as Christmas in South Florida. I don't know if you know that, but it just, it doesn't exist. It's just silly. That's the way I grew up thinking. You can't have palm trees with lights on them and find any meaning in that, right? I mean, it's got to be up here. So we came north, and we would always hope for snow, and, and I was so excited as a kid. And when we left our house to travel north, I started counting the days until Christmas. And I tell you, as a little boy, hours seemed like days, and days seemed like weeks, and a week seemed like at least a month, 
because the anticipation was so acute that I just couldn't wait. It also seemed like to me that on Christmas Eve, our parents sent us to bed unusually early. I think they actually did because they were setting things up. But I would go to bed and I couldn't fall asleep because I was anticipating Christmas. I just would lay there what seemed like forever. And then without consciousness, I would fall asleep. And then, in a moment, I'd wake up. Oh, for those days, you know. Can't sleep through the night anymore. It was just like I went to sleep and I woke up and it was Christmas. It reminds me of something in the scripture. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, my friends, that's the way it's gonna be like. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, God is going to make everything new. God in Jesus Christ is going to come into this reality and fulfill the hope. The hope that is universally embedded in every human heart. It will be fulfilled. We have that promise. And as we wait, it's good to remember that the only way we can really experience this mysterious hope is by faith. We believe the promise because of the one who has promised. We believe the promise because the one who promised it came and lived among us, started there and walked with us. We believe the promise because the one who died and rose again said, I will come again as I first did and will restore all things. And we believe the promise because that person who died and even though he was dead, promised that even in his passing, he would never leave us or forsake us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he would always be present with us through every circumstance of our life. We believe the promise because we know that's true. And we hope that someday we will see his returning. So no matter what the difficulty of your circumstances now or in the past were, they didn't last forever because they won't. Because even now, the advent of God in your life, whatever your circumstances are, I tell you the advent of God in the person of Jesus Christ is just around the corner because he's not gonna leave you and he's not gonna forsake you. Don't give up hope. God is with you. And furthermore, when you are exasperated with the overwhelmingly negative reality of life and the world's circumstances, remember this, the same God who promised once to come and came, the same God who died and rose again, that same God is going to make everything new. Relationally, physically, politically, and in every other way. It will happen, my friends. And how do you experience it, that hope, right now, by faith? By the way, speaking of faith, 
You know it's not necessary to understand it all, right? Actually, isn't that a big part of the definition of faith? Not knowing, but still believing. Oh, having good reason to believe. I don't want to discount that, but not knowing fully. Not being able to piece together all the puzzle as you think it will be. Not being able to predict how the advent of God might happen next week in your life. Thank goodness we don't know. Thank goodness I have often said that in my travail, God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to. The advent of God is mysterious, but it's promised and it will happen, and you can experience it by faith. The final thought is a reiteration of something earlier. It's, it's good to wait. It really is. You know, children, they get whatever they want, whenever they want it, or the kind of kids you don't ever, never want to be around, right? Um, but maybe we're one of those grown-up kids demanding of God what we want, when we want it, and really being quite annoying to everybody around us, it's good to wait. It's good to ask, and it's good to wait. Delayed gratification is not a popular theme in our culture. You know that. But it might be the greatest gift that's ever given to us through faith. So as you wait, know that it's good. Oh, I go back to my childhood memory, waiting for Christmas. It seemed like it would never come. And it always did. This will be my 57th experience of Christmas. It always comes. And over the years, I don't anticipate it the same way. I, I can fall asleep quite easily on Christmas Eve. But over the years, I begin to understand it more and more and more. And the depth of it takes on new meaning. You know what that's like when you have children or grandchildren, which I'm still waiting for and trying not to be a little dissatisfied about. Speaking of waiting, it takes on new meaning at, at every stage in life, and the depth of the meaning just keeps getting bigger and broader and deeper. Here's what I want to say. That's the nature of faith. When God gives a promise, and he says, you can hope in my promise. I want you to have faith that I'm going to make everything new. And I'm going to be with you right in your circumstances. And I will eventually make everything new. Don't lose faith. Hang on to the hope. It might be mysterious, but it's true. Let's pray. God, you have been gracious to us in the coming of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Um, 
we never would have predicted that that you would come that way. And in many ways, it's been a scandal to a lot of people. It's certainly been even still mysterious that you came by that method. But we thank you that you did. We also thank you that you continue to come in ways and by methods that we do not expect. We thank you that your ways are above our ways and your thoughts are above our thoughts. But we, we know that you love us because you've demonstrated your love in Jesus Christ. And we know that you will always be with us because you promised to be and we know that someday you're going to make everything new. So in the meantime, Lord, as we wait, give us hope, give us confidence in the promise, and give us faith. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.